Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. X27. Number 1B. On the other hand, she attributes very little importance to religion in connection with her discovery. She uses the term religion only about 40 times in her textbook, and in most cases in a negative sense. This is evidence enough to draw the following conclusion. If we want to grasp Christian science, then we must be willing to grasp it as a science and not as a mere religion. Hence, we must open our thought to approach the subject of God scientifically. With a merely religious mentality, we can never fathom the science of God and man. As this scientific approach of Christian science to the subject of God is so new and revolutionary, we must be constantly on the watch not to allow a traditional, theological, and religious approach to dominate our mentality. It is significant that in Mrs. Eddy's published writings, the rendering, the religion of Christian science is never used. Her decisive aim was to draw the attention of the reader away from a religious approach to a scientific one. The human mind resists it. Faith and Understanding Mrs. Eddy must have been well aware of the lurking danger for the human mind to approach Christian science through religious belief and faith instead of through understanding and science. Only a short while before she left us, she dictated to Adam Dickey a last warning in her article, Principle and Practice. It would be well for every student to read this article from time to time. In it, she makes it very clear that Christian science demands understanding and not belief. She points out that mortal mind has the tendency to acquire Christian science through belief instead of understanding, and furthermore is unaware of this fatal tendency. It is no wonder, therefore, that faith healings are not recognized for what they are and are erroneously claimed to be Christianly scientific healings. At the end of the article, Mrs. Eddy even considers the possibility that Christian science may again be lost if this distinction between human faith and scientific healing is not clearly drawn. Let us therefore keep constantly in mind that the main theme running through the textbook is understanding not belief and faith. Mrs. Eddy writes, Until belief becomes faith, 
and faith becomes spiritual understanding, human thought has little relation to the actual or divine. Science and Health, 297, 28-31 What we have to be very clear about is that we cannot just revert to the methods of ancient healers. We live in a different mental world, and today error must be dealt with through science and understanding. In this respect, the textbook states, the divine principle or life cannot be practically demonstrated in length of days as it was by the patriarchs, unless its science be accurately stated. Science and Health, 283, 24-27 Mrs. Eddy also refers to this point when she says, I knew the principle of all harmonious mind action to be God, and that cures were produced in primitive Christian healing by holy, uplifting faith but I must know the science of this healing. And I won my way to absolute conclusions through divine revelation, reason, and demonstration. Science and Health, 109.16-22 This shows that one has to be awake not to mistake holy faith for understanding because the faith cure has devout followers whose Christian practice is far in advance of their theory. Retrospection 54.19-21 The student is well advised to study from time to time Mrs. Eddy's article on faith cure. In Retrospection, pages 54.55 Part of this article appears in Appendix 2. Science reveals. The arguments of the human mind against a scientific understanding of God are manifold, and one of them is that science is not necessary, since God reveals itself directly to each one of us. There may be some justification for this argument, but at the same time it must be acknowledged that there may be only one person in a thousand years capable of perceiving a revelation of such magnitude as Mrs. Eddy's. Because she was aware of this fact, Mrs. Eddy was impelled to present a science to the world, a science which is teachable to everyone and can be learned by everyone, and which purifies and clarifies human consciousness to a point where it is transparent to receive revelation. If we investigate the textbook in this respect, we make an important discovery, namely that Mrs. Eddy never says God reveals, but science reveals, so that we must draw the conclusion that God reveals through science. Mrs. Eddy has given us this science, and it is for us to investigate and to understand it. In the measure that we do, science reveals and interprets God and man. Knowing yes, ten, eight to nine, to us, 
Indeed, nothing makes our consciousness more receptive to revelation than clear scientific consciousness and spiritual living. Thus, the emphasis is primarily on science and its discovery. This brings into proper focus Mrs. Eddy's statement. To one born of the flesh, however, divine science must be a discovery. Retrospection 26, 22-23 From whatever angle we consider the textbook, it will be seen that we cannot escape the outstanding fact that Christian science is a science and must therefore be approached through scientific understanding. Definition of Science Before proceeding further, let us first be clear as to the meaning of the term science. Many people find this term cold, abstract, and intellectual. But science, rightly assessed, is nothing of the kind. It is warm, comforting, and practical. I should so much like to convey a sense of science that would make it loved above everything. There are many definitions of science. The one which I have found to be most helpful is from Franken-Wagnall's dictionary. Knowledge of a single fact not known as related to any other, or of many facts, not known as having any mutual relations, or as comprehended under any general law, does not reach the meaning of science. Science is knowledge, reduced to law and embodied in system. Thus, the knowledge of an isolated fact or of many unrelated facts is not science. A well-known physical scientist of today, Dr. Brownowski, says that science is not a fact-finding activity, but a fact-arranging activity. He states that we may have a million facts, each one true in itself but unless their relationship to and arrangements with one another are understood, these facts possess of themselves no element of science. Therefore, a knowledge of a divine fact or of many divine facts unrelated to one another does not reach the meaning of science. Though a single fact may be true in itself, this does not necessarily make it a scientific truth to us. But has not most of our knowledge about Christian science consisted of unrelated facts? Have we not loved isolated statements in a textbook without understanding them in relation to one another and their underlying system? Likewise, has not our religious teachings been after this fashion? By learning unrelated verses and parables from the Bible, have we not failed to understand and grasp the underlying truth in their system and science? See also Max Kepler, Truth and Scientific Truth. 
The meaning of science demands that knowledge must be reduced to system. To reduce means to bring into certain order, arrangement, classification, etc. Arith. To change the denominations of a quantity without changing the value. To change the form of an expression without changing the value. Webster. Science takes the whole quantity of knowledge and by reduction changes it into the form of an orderly arrangement of classified knowledge, which we call system, without changing its value. In a system, the elements of a subject are arranged in categories so as to form a rational interdependence and combined so as to form an integral whole, an immanent science and system. Two methods of learning. Let us see what this definition of science implies. In teaching arithmetic, two methods are open. With the one, we start teaching the pupil, for instance, the fact that 5 plus 5 equals 10. This the pupil memorizes. And it being an, an arithmetical truth, he can even apply it. We then go on and teach him, for instance, that 100 minus 20 equals 80. And once again, he memorizes it. But a lifetime would not be sufficient, even with a perfect memory, to learn more than a very small portion of the practically numberless computations in the realm of arithmetic. This is an unscientific method of teaching and learning. The other way is to use a scientific method to teach arithmetic as a science, to use a method based on knowledge reduced to law and embodied in system. We first acquaint our pupil with the elements of the science of arithmetic, namely the ten digits, and then the laws ruling those ten digits in their fundamental operations of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. In this way, we provide the pupil with the key to the numberless calculations in the realm of arithmetic. He then is in a position to work out any arithmetical calculation, and this with a knowledge of a very small number of fundamental facts, the ten digits and their four operations. Fourteen facts in all. Everyone can learn this easily. The simplicity of science. Hence, science is the wonderful means by which infinity is reduced to a system, comprising a comparatively small number of fundamental facts and laws. What a burden this removes. Instead of having to learn and memorize infinitely diversified facts, we have only to understand the fundamental facts and laws of the system in order to be able afterwards to combine them in infinite ways. 
Reducing the infinite calculations to a simple system does not take away anything from infinitude. Therein lies the beauty and the comfort of a system. It is simple in itself, and yet as vast as infinity. The system of arithmetic holds within itself all possible computations. Divine Metaphysics now reduced to a system. This sense of science as knowledge reduced to law and embodied in system is the same sense that Mrs. Eddy had with her discovery. It may be of interest to insert here what Mrs. Eddy says with regard to the intrinsic meaning of science when referring to an earlier edition of Webster's Dictionary. She says, Divinely defined, science is the atmosphere of God. Humanly construed and according to Webster, it is knowledge duly arranged and referred to general truths and principles on which it is founded and from which it is derived. I employ this all-filled word in both a divine and human sense. No and yes, 9.25-2 Her subject was the infinite subject, God, the infinite all, expressing itself in an infinitely diversified creation. And she was faced with the task of interpreting and explaining this infinite whole. To try to state the infinite in its infinitude would take infinity, and such a book would fill the whole earth. It would be the same as trying to state arithmetic through its infinite computations. So Mrs. Eddy chose the method of science and thus undertook the tremendous task of defining the infinite, or God, through metaphysical science. What was her concept of metaphysics? When clarifying this term, she writes, Divine metaphysics is that which treats of the existence of God, his essence, relations, and attributes, Miscellaneous Writing, 69, 1-2 This divine metaphysics she reduced to a system, as we know from her momentous statements. Divine metaphysics is now reduced to a system, to a form comprehensible by and adapted to the thought of the age in which we live. This system enables the learner to demonstrate the divine principle upon which Jesus' healing was based and the sacred rules for its present application to the cure of disease. Science and Health, 146, 31-5 Let us always bear clearly in mind, however, that by reducing the infinite to a simple system, she did not restrict or limit the infinite in any way. 
science the comforter. Science is the means through which the infinite translates itself to the thought of our age. Indeed, the Christ of today is divine science. At the time of our Master, the age would not have been able to perceive the Christ as science. And so the Christ came first in the form of the man Jesus. But Jesus foresaw the coming of the Christ in its new form, as the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, which would teach us all things. Today we live in a scientific age, and we are trained to think scientifically and to use scientific methods. So it is quite natural that the Comforter should come to our age as divine science. Science, the wonder of wonders. The moment any subject can be stated in its science, it means that it is accessible to everyone and that it can be learned and applied by anyone. Science is completely impartial. The only condition necessary for its use is to understand it. What comfort lies in the realization alone that God is now stated in its science, and that nothing except our own unwillingness to understand it can prevent us from acquainting ourselves intelligently with God and being clothed with its nature? All who love and value this great wonder of the 20th century cannot help standing in awe before it and realizing that it is the pearl without price to own which is worth selling everything. The research into the science of Christ is thus freed from any feeling of burden, of sacrifice impelled by obligation, and the study is blessed with a sense of grace. Let us now see how Mrs. Eddy sets about reducing the divine infinite to a system, to a form comprehensible to this age. The Science of God One Infinite God the great purpose of the Bible is to teach monotheism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 Mrs. Eddy, too, goes out from the fact that there is but one God. Furthermore, she states that this one God is infinite. Now let us not immediately think of God as infinite in time and space, but much more as infinite in ideas, infinite in power, infinite in intelligence, infinite in faculties, infinite in possibilities, infinite in knowledge, infinite in substance, etc. An undefined God is subject to conjecture. Christendom claims to believe in one God only, 
But if we were to ask a hundred people at random to define or explain this one God, we should receive a hundred different and mainly contradictory answers. Can we then really say that the Christians have one and the same God? The reason for this confused and contradictory situation is that theology has apparently never understood the nature of God sufficiently, clearly, to be able to define God coherently. Substituting for the term God another name, such as the Lord, or the Supreme Being, does not throw any more light on this subject, while such terms are still undefined. Without an exact and complete definition, the term God can mean many things and represents mainly one's own concept and interpretation, something usually rather remote from God's intrinsic nature. Prayer addressed to such a God means no more than praying to a vague, undefined concept, an unknown power or to mere human imagination. God definable through system. However, as we have seen, the infinite cannot be grasped in its infinitude. Otherwise, our consciousness would have to be greater than the infinite. Man would have to be greater than God. Mrs. Eddy states this very clearly when she writes, God, good, is self-existent and self-expressed, though indefinable as a whole. Science and Health, 213, 9-10. Moreover, she states, Even eternity can never reveal the whole of God, since there is no limit to infinitude or to its reflections. Science and Health, 517.22-24 When considering the analogy of arithmetic, we saw that we should never be able to grasp all its possible computations as a whole. Similarly, Mrs. Eddy states that God cannot be defined as a whole. But it is not for this reason hopeless to try to understand God, the divine being, since the nature of God can be analyzed and reduced to a system. We can understand God through its science. Definition of God Mrs. Eddy's greatest achievement is that through divine revelation she was able to give a definition of God which explains the nature, essence, and wholeness of deity. She analyzes the common term God into its fundamental aspects without, however, in any way limiting God's infinitude and defines God through seven terms mind, spirit, soul, principle, life, truth, love. See Science and Health 465.10. Now in doing this, she replaces the undefined term God 
with seven more definite concepts. God is thus given a much closer definition, because we now know, for instance, that God is mind, not mindless, is spirit, not matter, is soul, not body, is principle, not an anthropomorphic person, is life, not death, is truth, not error, is love, not hate. Exact terminology needed. However, if Mrs. Eddy had left her definition of God at this point only, without interpreting each of these seven terms in greater detail, not much would have been gained. We all know that in common language the terms mind, spirit, soul, etc. not only have very loose meanings and their use is open to misunderstanding, but also that qualities are attributed to them which are in themselves contradictory. For instance, one speaks of a limited mind or an unlimited mind. Can mind be both? Or one speaks of good and evil spirits. Can they be both? One speaks of sinless and sinful souls. Can soul be both sinless and sinful? God is not self-contradictory, and neither are mind, spirit, and soul. This makes it clear that the common meanings which these terms have in ordinary language is inadequate and cannot therefore be taken over as such into the metaphysical language of Christian science. These terms must be qualified and newly defined. Then, when used in their Christianly scientific meaning, they are capitalized so as to indicate their reference to deity. What, therefore, is the divine meaning of these seven terms as used in Christian science? Throughout her textbook, Mrs. Eddy interprets each one of them, explaining mind through the ideas of mind, spirit through the ideas of spirit, soul through the ideas of soul, and similarly with principle, life, truth, and love. What renders the textbook so valuable is that Mrs. Eddy has discovered and stated the exact nature of God and has not given her own human concept of deity. By defining mind through its specific ideas, therefore, we can arrive at a clear-cut definition of what Mrs. Eddy means by mind, and so with all the seven terms she gives for God. Then mind as a term will no longer be vague, but definite. This is why the student of Christian science should take the time to study thoroughly in the textbook which ideas characterize each one of these synonymous terms for God. Otherwise, he will have only a vague, veiled, undefined concept of these seven terms. He will not really understand their divine meanings, but will still have his own self-assumed sense of them.
The study of the seven synonymous terms for God is indispensable. Synonymous defined. Mrs. Eddy refers to these seven different terms for God as being synonymous. Unfortunately, there is a great misunderstanding as to what synonymous means. Many look upon synonymous terms as terms meaning exactly the same thing and being therefore completely interchangeable. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.